What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Right Place Right Now continues its Olympic journey with Greco-Roman wrestler John Stefanowitz. John knew he was destined for great things, but he had no idea how his story would unfold. He wrestled in high school and had dreams of going to the Olympics, but his senior year, not a single college showed any interest in him. So, John had to reevaluate and choose a new path. Enlisting in the Marines, John was on his way to greatness through service to his country. However, he never gave up on his wrestling dreams. He continued to compete in weekend tournaments and intramural events until one day his destiny showed itself. The Marines had a team, and John was going to take his shot. Reflecting on his journey, John says that he was on the brink of success multiple times and had no idea. So he went back for more. John changed his mindset and became more disciplined, and now he's Tokyo bound. In this episode, he shares with us what it means to be a Marine, an Olympian, and a family man, how you don't always even have to believe in yourself to find success, and how the difficult times have set him up for everything else to be a little bit easier. John, we're thrilled to have you on the show, excited to see you in Tokyo, good luck and we'll be watching. John Stefanowitz, welcome to the show, thank you for your time sir, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me guys, appreciate it. So you just recently qualified for the Olympics Yeah. in 87 kilogram weight class Greco-Roman wrestling, did I get all that right? You did, you got all of it right. Uh, okay, so not really in tune with wrestling. Tell us what's different about that discipline of wrestling versus some others and how you've come to get into it. Well, uh, how I came to get into it was actually through the Marine Corps. Uh, the Marine Corps wrestling program that we have at the all Marine wrestling team focuses primarily on Greco Roman, um, as, as a discipline in comparison to freestyle. And, you know, that is our, uh, our alternative style that USA wrestling has at the senior circuit. Um, and at, and as an Olympic style, uh, we pretty much go in between freestyle and Greco-Roman, and uh, most people focus on one of the two after they graduate from high school and college and continue on if they can continue to pursue that that dream of wrestling. So how does it differ from freestyle, per se? It's, well, obviously, the biggest thing people will say right away is you can't touch the legs uh, and you, you can't attack the legs, which is completely true. Uh, it's You'll see a lot more high-amplitude throws. It's more of a chess match where uh, both the athletes are in contact with each other 100% of the time. Um, not a lot of space is given. Uh, um, a lot more hand fighting, a lot more of that combatives um, grunt in the middle of the trenches going on instead of uh, the freestyle attacking the legs and um, working to different situations, and which is what Americans are more familiar with in the, the collegiate level. And so did you said you got into it, the, the Marines. Did you have a history of it before then? Like, did you wrestle as a child and was it in the same area? Yeah. I mean, I, I had wrestled throughout my, you know, grade years from, you know, first grade on throughout, but uh, I, I never had a discipline in Greco. No, I, I just wrestled like the high school, normal folk style sport that most of us are all accustomed to. That's awesome. So you qualified how long ago now was it now that we're shooting this? Was it just a week ago? No, um, I qualified April 3rd. 
April 3rd. So it's been May, June, but so a, a few months, a few months. I, I qualified. Oh, okay. So I, I misread that then. So what has your kind of schedule been in between? Because you were obviously ramping up, really pushing to get weight and in shape and, and your endurance and everything ready for that trials event. And now you kind of have this lull. What have you been up to since you qualified? It's well, I mean, it's been a, it's been a mixture right now of, you know, the, the ups and downs really, you know, per se, we've been focusing more and polishing on, on what we've been great at and, and trying to, you know, fill in a couple of holes here and there, getting ready for the competition. But for the most part, uh, we've, we've really tried to harp on technique and, and small bits here and there. Physically, we already know we're there. Uh, we've obviously drew, drew it back for a while and now we've since then ramped it up, uh, you know, getting ready, making sure that we can peak at the right time. But uh, for the most part, it's been it's been pretty tactical and, and strategic in a sense of knowing what to do and when to do it. And I've just been following the, the, the guidance of our training staff and coaches and stuff because they've been there before and I haven't. So um, I've had a lot of help with that. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of me trying to figure out what to do. And instead, I just listen to, to what there is to do. So I saw in your trials, you actually I can't remember what it was called. Um but there was, there was a pre-event that you had to basically, was it a pre-event that you had to win to get into the, the finals for wrestling? You had a, a harder path than typical, right? Yeah. I had a, I had a, a more difficult path than others could, uh, could expect or wish to have, I guess you could say, but, um, yeah, there was a, the way in which the trials worked, uh, was the, there was a, uh, what they called a challenge tournament pretty much, um, uh, beforehand before the finals and the winner of that then had to go through and, um, then wrestle in the finals the following day for the Olympic team spot. So you had to qualify to get to the qualifier to qualify for Olympics. That's correct. That's, <laughs> one, that's one exhausting way to put it. it. It sounds exhausting. I was actually just joking uh, with Jerry before we got on that the lady caught you right after you qualified and was asking you what the moment meant to you. And you didn't even catch your breath yet. Like you had literally just walked off the mat. So now that you've had time to think about it and dwell in it and prepare, what looking back was that moment for you whenever you realized that you qualified for the Olympics? I mean, the moment right away, uh, you know, when it first happened, I had it, you know, this overwhelming sense of satis you know, satisfaction. Uh, you know, I thought my wife and mom, my family, but, you know, my wife was able to come down there and, and watch me and, and witness it, which was, you know, a, a feeling, you know, it's really hard to, to, to put that into words and quant, you know, quantify it. But, you know, I knew my boys back home were cheering. They watched me make a world team in 2019 and stuff. And, and ever since then they had been kind of full on board. And so there was a, you know, always that wonder of whether or not the work that I was going to do was create a good legacy for them to, to look up to. Um, so right away I had this sense of satisfaction. And then afterwards, once my feet hit the ground again, um, you know, once the, once the wind came over and stuff, I realized, you know, I've got this great opportunity. Um, I've got this, you know, not, not a power, but I, I have this obligation um, and a new newfound responsibility that I guess you can think about, but until you're in that position and in those shoes and you're the person that's representing, you know, the USA at the pinnacle of, of any event ever, uh, it, it's really hard to prepare yourself for the newfound responsibility. Did you have aspirations to be at this level when you were a kid? Like, when did you decide, I want to be an Olympian? I mean, I, my brother, you know, my brother um, and I both, you know, talked about it and, you know, discussed it. But I don't 
put it into anything more than what any other kid in sports would do. You know, anyone that wrestled or played sports at, at a high school level to say, I want to be an Olympian one day. I mean, yeah, we all said it. <laughs> like everyone said, everyone thought it or said it like, man, it'd be really cool to, to be on that stage. I don't know what it's going to take to get there. Um, but it'd be really great if, if it could happen. I mean, yeah, we, I talked like that and dreamt like that, but the, uh, the, the realization of it occurring though is completely different. You know, you have some athletes out there that from day one, when they, uh, into high school or into college there, the anticipation is already there. So they have people grooming them and they're preparing and they're ready. You know, I, I didn't have that particular path. So that's why it was, it was, um, really different for me in that aspect. I didn't have that. Uh, I don't have that collegiate background. I mean, I'm finishing up, you know, my last semester of school right after the Olympics end. Um, and so I can graduate from the university, but other than that, uh, you know, I, other than that experience, I've, I haven't wrestled NCAA. I haven't had those other types of coaches or, um, you know, those big sponsorships from the high school level up and stuff like that, that, uh, that set you up for that Olympic, that Olympic journey, because it's definitely, it's a tough one. There's a lot of tribulations, uh, a ton of adversity that comes along with it, no matter who you are, but there's definitely a path of less resistance than the one that I took. Care to elaborate on that at all? <laughs> I mean, I graduate. I mean, if anyone reads the stories, I mean, you know, you know, you know that I like my even my senior year, like I didn't even get a the thing that pissed me off the most was I didn't even get a pamphlet from a from the school. Like, that's how bad I was at everything. Not just sport. I mean, I was like, I think I was like 32 and seven or something like that. So I was pretty good my senior year. But other than that, no, not really. Um, getting no looks. I got zero. I didn't even get a. everyone gets a pamphlet like <laughs> Phoenix university, something, right. Like, right. Yeah. Everyone okay. gets a pamphlet. Not me. I didn't. Um, and that's kind of where I lost the, I didn't lose the aspiration. The aspiration was always there. Or at least the fire might've been small. Um, but the, it was always there. But that, that thing I was talking about, about things being real and tangible, like if it's not a smart goal, then it shouldn't be a real goal. Um, and that's the whole thing is the, a, the attainability you know, is it attainable? And, it, and for me, it wasn't at the time. And, and it was something that, uh, you know, even though, um, I had an aspiration for, I, I kind of gave up on it. Um, and I, I didn't have the, the money I wasn't asking for it. And I wasn't, you know, finding any ability to go to school. I, I wasn't doing, I was a mediocre student at best. I had every letter of the alphabet in my report card every semester. And, <sighs> couldn't figure out as to how to stop that from happening. And, uh, it just, it wasn't, I don't know if it was maturity. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, divine. I don't know exactly what it was, but I know I had a, a Marine Corps recruiter come to the house one night and I was like, this dude, this is it. This is what this, this is my opportunity. If not, I was going to be at home like everyone else. Um, and I didn't want that. I, I knew I was set for something. I just didn't know what it was. Um, and I said, all right, well, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to go be a Marine. And so I, I went and joined the Marine Corps and went a few years and I completely gave up on, uh, you know, competing at, at that Olympic or senior level. I, you know, wrestled local, local tournaments, like everyone, you know, tries to do and in mural stuff. I was overseas. Um, I was stationed overseas for, for a while in Japan and, uh, I was wrestling and stuff over there. 
and I got the right look from the right person at the right time. And long behold, I was informed about the Marine Corps having a wrestling team. So it was crazy. I went all this time. I didn't even know. Um, and then I got this, I got this application in and it got accepted and came to the team. So you went into the Marines, not knowing that you would be able to continue your wrestling career. That wasn't part of your decision. I didn't even know the Marine Corps. I didn't even know it was in existence. Not even that it was a part of my career. I didn't know it was a, it was a thing. Like I didn't know it was a tangible item that we're talking about. I went in knowing nothing about that at all. I just thought I was going to be a Marine for 20 years. So you, <laughs> so you went in with, with, with crushed wrestling dreams, just ready to move on. Yeah. And then, and then you find out that, Hey, I, I can, I can wrestle. What, what was, how did you find that out? Like what, I know you said you were wrestling on the side and, and doing some competitions and stuff. Where did that, where did that connection come from? I was stationed in Japan. I got a pamp and, and there was a, you know, the poster, you know, uh, and it was kind of saying, Hey, look, this is where the, what, one of the next tournaments are. Um, and it says like, Hey, all, all Marine wrestling coach, major Dan Hicks or whatever is coming out there recruiting, looking for uh, talent, anybody that, you know, wins this tournament, will have the opportunity to, you know, place an application. I was like wrestling team, major Hicks. Major Hicks, who is he? What are you talking about? Right. And that's how I found out. <laughs> wow. um, and I, I looked it up and then I saw who was on it. And at the time it was uh, Steve Forrest who had just taken second at world team trials behind a guy named, I think it was, I think it was Jake Fisher that year. And uh, I was like, I looked at his credentials and I looked at the other guy's credentials and there was a couple guys from the Naval Academy, like all Americans and stuff like that. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not making this team. <laughs> Just, and I kind of my my hopes and dreams you're talking about were crushed once again. <laughs> I was I was down and out again. I was like, oh, I'll just give it up. I mean, you know, this is coming from someone I made districts one time. Right. Like that. You know, that was the difference here. So it it was it was uh it was a vast, um you know it was polar opposite of what I had anticipated of what I already accomplished, what I was thinking could happen. Um, it was kind of just, it, it came along, but it, it wasn't planned and it wasn't sought after. I had no idea it was going to occur. How do you capitalize in an opportunity like that? Because I think part of the point of this show is to help people understand that circumstances of opportunity aren't luck. They're by being in the right place at the right time by putting yourself there intentionally. And this is your story. You saw this flyer, you had this you know what? I wasn't good in high school. I didn't even get a college look or a recruiter to call me, but I'm going to put my foot back in this door and try to wrestle again. Walk me through that thought process a little bit, because you really had no, no business walking into that gym, right? Based off your background. And here you come out winning and being part of the team. Yeah. Well, what I've realized is there's every, every step along the way, um, I've always wanted to come back and get a little more, whether it was high school, do a little better in, in my academics, or maybe, you know, starting my senior year at the age of 16, wasn't too good for my level of maturity. Maybe that, you know, maybe we could have worked on that a little bit and stayed back next year, like everybody else, because I went from five, three and a hundred, a buck 25 to five, 10 and, you know, two Oh five and, you know, a year and a half. So maybe, maybe staying back the year could have helped me out. You know, I look at the Marine Corps and the things I could have done a little bit better and, then I came to the team and for the first couple of years, I was just happy I made it on the team. The thing about it, like what 
what made me realize this and, and all these things that we're talking about is what I, I didn't realize it at first. I didn't know that it was a dream. Um, I didn't know. I knew it was a dream. I didn't know that the dream was, was possible. Um, even after I was on the team wrestling on the senior circuit again, like trying to wrestle at these events, I was still comfortable at the back then at those times I was comfortable with everything I was doing. I was comfortable with making the team. I thought that was good enough. I thought, I, I can never make this team. And then I got to the team and I make the team and I realized, okay, I'm good enough to be on the team. And then I was happy with it. And I've come to find out every time I'm happy about something and you get in that complacency and you get relaxed and then you end up either performing less or performing not to the best of your abilities, or you'll go back and look and say, I really wish I would have done this a little bit better, or I could have pushed a little bit harder or I could have focused or been more disciplined um, and all these things. And honestly, the realization of what I had available and how close I was to being successful was actually leaving the team. I reenlisted in the Marine Corps in 2014, I think was like my second one or maybe it was my first, whatever. It was 2014. I, I signed up again <laughs> and uh, I left. And as soon as I left, I realized like, wow, hold on. Like, I just lost for third place at the world team trials with a hernia. And when I was wrestling in that match and in that tournament, I had no idea that if I won that match, I would have made national team. Like that's how ignorant we were. That's how ignorant I was. I didn't know that if I won that match, I would have been third. I would have been collecting a stipend or something, or that I would have made national. I didn't know that I was so happy with what I had accomplished because it was more than what I was ever supposed to. And I was just content. And I realized a lot of people and those that I was surrounding myself with were the same way. And it wasn't until that, and I moved into the, you know, I work in the intelligence community now for the Marine Corps. And as soon as I did that and I realized all these things, I was like, wow, I wasn't, I could have tried. Everyone can try hard. It's the wrong word, but I could have prepared so much better, um, so much more efficiently than I did before. And so that I walked around for, I don't know, three, three and a half years after I left the team with like the, a chip on my shoulder and just, just overwhelmed with regret of how close I could have, how close I could have come uh, to really achieving those goals. Now, I mean, 2012, I blew my elbow out and never made it to Olympic team trials. 2016, I wasn't with the team anymore. So, I mean, both of those Olympic team trials were, were not even in question for me to, you know, they weren't even, a contender for me to be a part of but you know this this time came around I got back to the team um, in 2017 I was actually requested to come back and um, I I jumped on the opportunity and then ever since then we made you know four national teams world team years and, and an Olympic team this year and I got I think that was three months after I came back to the team and in April I made the national team but it's been a thing where I realized that everywhere you get every every little bit is just another responsibility. And you have to figure out what it takes to get to the next level. And that's been a, a, you know, a huge beast for me right now is before I realized, all right, this is what it took to make this team. All right. What's it take to be a leader of the team? All right. Now what's it take to be a national team member? Cause I got close, but I didn't know. Now we know how to train like a national team member. You know, we adopt that. We went from one to four national team members. And then the next year, we continue on and we got six national team members and two world team members. All right. I know how to train like a world team member. Now, 
now how do I train like a, like an Olympian? And you kind of, you, you change your mindset every time you accomplish something new because you realize that wrestling is like life. There's, you don't just, it's not math. You can't figure it out. And then there's an end all be all. It's not like gymnastics. Like if you can do a backflip, you can do a backflip and then everyone can just do backflip. Like there's no standard or threshold where if you meet it, it's met. There's always going to be someone out there, their will against yours, their technique, um, you know, their ability to always improve in some fashion, some way. And if you don't, if you just sit there complacent and happy about it, you're never, you're not going to improve. You'll, it'll look like you're decelerated in everything you do. And I believe that that haunted me from high school on all the way to, you know, until where I was today. That's, I love the conversation about complacency. You were talking about this place where you're getting happy though. I, I just want to pick that apart a little bit because the goal is to be happy, but you were finding yourself complacent. Maybe happy is not the right word there of just being content in your place. Is that continued success and pushing forward and taking on these new roles? I like how you said, like, now I need to learn how to train like a national team member versus a high schooler. Does that, is that fulfillment for you? Is that where happiness lies? For a short time. Yeah, it does. But I, you know, I believe it's, it's one of those things where like, I, I'm content and I want to enjoy everything. Like I said, like that, I got that overwhelming sense of, of satisfaction right when I won the trials, right when I became an Olympian. Um, I had this overwhelming sense of satisfaction. And now um, that, you know, to me, I categorize that the same way as complacency or same way as, as contention. And it, it's great to feel that because you need those along the way, because if you don't enjoy those moments, then it's going to be, you know, you get burnt out. Everyone gets burnt out. And when, you know, you, you're in a sport like wrestling where it's just, you know, sometimes it's a bloodbath and you welcome it. Uh, you know, the body will sometimes go before the mind does. And it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I've tried to enjoy every step of it, but I always know there's a little bit of improvement. There's always something that we can do. It's like studying medicine. We're, we're always practicing medicine because we haven't saved every life yet. It's the same thing with wrestling. You haven't figured everything out yet. And so it's a constant struggle of enjoying how much you've learned and what you've accomplished, but also knowing that if you've done this, there's something else out there. You can do just a little bit better. Um, and that, I think that hunger is what kind of sets wrestlers apart in a lot of ways. I mean, you didn't always have that hunger. You had, you had, you know, you had, you had some complacency and some contentment with where you were. Have you, that lesson that you've learned about, there's always a next level. There's always a next thing you can learn. How can you see that benefiting you and taking you, in other things and i mean you can only wrestle for so long eventually you know this dream will be in the past and so how how do you see yourself taking that mindset and taking it forward i well when applied in the right in the right places you know i've i've already felt like that mindset is what carries a lot of people through life a little easier um you know i've had a lot of things i've been through a lot a lot of trials and tribulations and you know there's nothing harder I've experienced yet than wrestling someone where they're doing their damnedest and their best that they can physically and possibly do to beat you and everything that you've trained years and years and years for. And then a lot of times it's even harder because they take those years of training and they put it in six minutes. And so the level of intensity is astronomically 
through the roof in, in every single aspect. And I, I look at that and I, I think to myself, like, there's nothing that I can, I can encounter right now that is harder than what I'm doing. And when I put myself in that mindset, I realize, like, you know, you can relax, you can breathe, you can, there's no one beating you, right? There's no one physically trying to beat on you right now. Like, there's no one trying to kill you right now. You can, there, it's going to be a little easier. There's something that's going to go on where it's going to be okay. I mean, the, it, it really is. I know there's a couple of sayings out there that say, you know, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy and it's real cliche and stuff. But then when you get to it, to a certain point, it, it's right. It, it is a little easier. Everything is a little easier. We, you know, we learn a level of discipline because it's become second nature without it. You're not successful. And, you know, I think that's been a huge part. I think it's why I've, it's helped me be successful as a Marine, as a father and a husband. I have to credit the sport because it makes you humble. Cause every time you win, all it takes is one loss and you're, oh, you're, you know, you get knocked off the pedestal real quick. And, it, you know, humble pie is real, you know, it's famous and it comes quick and it comes often in the sport of wrestling because it's one win, one match, one guy at the right time at the right place. That's all it takes. How is it in the Olympics? Is it, do you go there and you compete and it, it's one loss and you're out? Is there, or is it more like tournament style? How, what is it like there? The, uh, the, the international style and setup is, uh, it's, unfortunately it is difficult to understand if if you're not in tune with the sport exactly but it is a one loss system a one loss setup but if the guy that you lost to makes it to the finals you get pulled back into the tournament and so does everyone else that lost to him so you can lose to someone in the first round or you can lose to that guy in the third round and win your way through but if you lost to him you get pulled back into the tournament now on the you know backside of that you can win three matches and then lose and if the guy that you lost to loses well, then you're out no matter how good you did, no matter how many points you scored, no matter who else he beat or lost to it's, it can be very fortunate or unfortunate. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty fickle in a sense to that where like, there's no double elimination or cross bracketing to make sure you get this and that it it's uh it's pretty cutthroat. So how many matches to win gold? Uh, four, four matches, four matches and over how many days? Two, two days. Three on the, I believe it's three on the first day and one on the second day. And you said they're six minute matches. Yeah. Yep. Two, two, three minute periods. Man. The longest six minutes of your life. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking is because you're going the way you explained it. I mean, it's full exertion for three straight minutes. Like you can, I, I've played sports. I've been a college athlete. There's nothing I've done that, that makes you do that full exertion for three minutes. No. And then you do it twice. How do you train for that? Like, what does your regimen look like to even get in shape for something? I mean, that, that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've built a lot. I've built a lot of, uh, I say a lot of my money comes from having golden lungs, as they say. I, I, and something I haven't really tried to self-proclaim, but something that others that have wrestled me and trained with me tell me. And, you know, that's something that's really carried me through this sport is because it is one of those things where you can't be the best at everything. It's, it's just the human body. Is, it's something that it can't take for that period of time. Again, especially when you're doing it to somebody else who's, you know, physically equal to you, you know, there, there's definitely not one training program uh, that we, 
that we have to stay on just because there's so many ups and downs. The body can only train at that level that we're talking about uh, with that high intensity. It can only happen for a very short amount of time. And then it's recovery. Then it's going back through and making sure that your body's right. It can take another training session like that. And, you know, another peaking um, season. And it's been everything from running marathons to doing nine, you know, quarter mile sprints and everything in between and then wrestling for a few hours a day sometimes wrestling for a few hours twice a day it's a combination of everything that you can think of combined into a daily routine from the 6 a.m charges where you're trying to make sure the body's awake to the the breathing techniques with the with atcs you know in the evening to you know the the stretching or the physical therapy that's the most painful thing out there um and then all of the actual training in between which you know come to say it's actually it, sometimes it takes up less than 50 percent of of the training itself is the the high intensity training um having the body ready for that that level of combativeness is is definitely tricky there's not a perfect science to it we've tried just about everything that sounds intense how many hours do you think you put in this year in the gym <laughs> hours this year I don't want to go lifetime because I don't know that we could count, but might be able to go back six months. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, for the majority of the majority of our days, especially on the team, we'll always have a you know a morning routine, a morning workout around you know six or six thirty. That's always our our first one. Our second one's at nine, and our third one's at, at two. You know, and if we had it our way, we if it weren't for the the work for the normal human beings lifestyle and the kids and animals and life and school and stuff. We probably have it at nine and five, but you know, you start making 13 hour days and wives aren't too happy when you do that five, six days a week, I'm not making millions of dollars. So <laughs> the, the hours better come with something. So, uh, you know, nine and two is our schedule. We've made it work real well. We are, we're able to capitalize on that. And then our 6am workouts are always, you know, it's, it's hit or miss on, on levels of intensity, but I'd say, you know, five and a half, five and a half, six hours a day of, of actual training, you know, followed by a whole conglomeration of extra routines and whether it's physical training, stretching, uh, rehab, which is huge or prehab as they like to call it now, um, to, you know, preventative maintenance pretty much on the body. Um, and then therapists, so I've been, we've heard it a little bit from your kids in the background and I saw on an Instagram post that you had them work on a track at uh, track workout run circles. What is their attention to this? Are they, cause they're, they're young. It looked like a toddler and just not much older, right? Are they aware of what's going on and what you're going through and the, the grandness of all of this? Yeah, I'd say in the past year, my oldest has been able to actually grasp it a little bit, but they're six and three. So it's kind of at that middle point where both of them know dad one, which is really all that matters, I guess, when you're six and three, because it don't really matter whether you understand it or not. One day they will, but they don't need to right now. They can just enjoy it. The young one hates it. I, I leave for work on a normal day and he thinks I'm going overseas again. He throws it, you know, he, his arms go up in the air. Sometimes I have to take his bunny to work because he thinks I'm leaving for a week. You know, they know dad one. They're happy about it. Uh can they really grab, you know, can they understand the gravity of it? I, I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, my oldest just started saying like, 
about, you know, the Olympics and the United States of America and all this stuff. But I think he just says it because that's what people have spoken about. But, um, you know, they're really just there. They're, they're pretty innocent to it all. You know, I've tried to give them as much time as I can. And it's never, it's never enough. You realize, you know, at this level, you're always going to sacrifice something. And unfortunately, um, it, it's a lot of it's been the family and sleep. But fortunately, I have a great wife that uh, is understanding to all of it. So, yeah, she does it like without, without it, without even no recourse. I'm not even in trouble. I sometimes I come home like oh, I know I'm in trouble. I've been gone for so long. And it's like, no, you're good. Here's, you know, let's get ready for this or, you know, whether it's meal prep, kids training, there's a bunch of, I don't feel like stretching. Nobody likes to sit down and stretch after getting beat on all day. She knows better because if not, then I'm going to be tight and sore and worse off the next day. So I get it's more of that preventative maintenance, even if that means I got to watch her shows and I got to stretch on the carpet, but she got me stretching. <laughs> so, <laughs> that support system. It's important. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, just, it's a, uh, it's a hard knock support system, but it's required, you know, we've got two boys and, and, uh, and they're, yeah, yeah. It, we've, we've got it going on. It's been, it's been a, a crazy ride, but the thing, yeah, the boys have enjoyed it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you also, cause I was stalking you on social media was, you are pretty open about advocating for colleges who are starting to defund programs, especially wrestling programs, right? Was your program defunded? The college or a university that you attended? Did you have ties to a program that was defunded? Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, the Marine Corps uh, deactivating our our team after the Olympics. Oh, that's, that's what I saw. Okay. Well, I definitely want to come to that then, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your advocacy for these programs and what it means for the sport and, and moving it forward and making sure that it outlives just you and the group that you're with now. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, like we talked about before, like, you know, I, I never, I haven't gone to, I never went to a university. I go to university of Maryland, but I've been doing it all online um, for like five years now. That's the most experience I've had other than, you know, talking to athletes nonstop, you know, I'm a, I'm an athlete advisory committee member, I guess, or the vice president for USA Wrestling. And, you know, I sit on about a half dozen boards and the USOPC committees. And, you know, the one thing I've seen and what I've experienced myself from someone that either didn't get a shot or has had too many stories put in his ear of athletes not getting the, the ability or the chance to do something is, uh, you know, something small, something that can be avoided. But trying to have people understand that if I can do this with no opportunity, if you give them something, if you give them a little bit of an opportunity, they can succeed. And uh, especially when it comes to money. And I understand that it's at the end of the day, it's not about the money. Um, you know, we can pull things together. I, I know how much it takes to fund a wrestling program. I know that it's not very expensive. I know that there's plenty of opportunities and there's plenty of go arounds and, you know, alternative methods and movements out there to ensure that a program can stay, stay standing. And I just feel like it's a, it's a disservice to athletes that have committed, put their lives and their effort and their, their futures. And they, they put it with all their reservations aside. They said, look, this is where I want to attend. This is what I want to do. Um, I'm going to support this school. My family's going to support this school. Uh, everyone I know is going to support me in the school. And then uh, decisions, you know, decisions are sometimes made to, to cut programs and the uh, 
the reasons are always laid down into you know some kind of fiscally responsible notion when i can i can i mean i yeah i may maybe not haven't seen the the bottom lines of every single university but it's it's difficult to to make that argument so i mean it's that's something that i've worked with a lot with a lot of these people i've I've trained with a lot of athletes. I've, I've heard their stories and I've heard their sides and, and I understand how much one opportunity can mean to an athlete, to a school, to a, to a movement, to a sport, um, and to, to a dream. I mean, I've got, it's changed me now. I've got two kids. I, I know what it's going to take. And it's real unfortunate to, to think about the fact that there was somebody in my shoes and 20 years later, their kid went to, went to a great school. He was a champion. He was successful. And then someone at the top that's completely unattached to the sport, to his dream, to what he's worked for and what he's done for the university or for any program for that matter. And they make an executive decision without looking at all the chess pieces and cut it, or they cut it back enough to where uh, it's almost a slap in the face where, all right, we haven't cut it, but we're going to take all these scholarships away. Uh, so you, you pretty much have cut the program. You're just going to make us look bad for a while. And then you make us look bad and then you cut it and then you use that excuse to cut it because we weren't producing, you know, ever since I, I took over as a, you know, an athlete advisory committee member, um, I've tried to do my best to advocate for the, the athletes. I, I know that, you know, USA wrestling and all the Olympic sports are, should be, should, and, you know, in the mission statements pretty are pretty much are, you know, athlete driven and athlete centric, mo you know, movements. And I think it's just stay that way. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great cause. And we appreciate you doing that work. Let's talk about that opportunity then, if, if you don't mind, is if there is a student that maybe it's not even wrestling, but they're looking for that opportunity, what can you, based off your experience of going at opportunity to the point where you've taken all the way to the Olympics, what do you offer somebody who's kind of like at that edge, but unsure? How do we get them to take that first step to start to push towards those dreams? I mean, it it's one of those things where, I mean, if you, if you don't believe in your, you don't have to believe in your success. I, I didn't, I didn't believe in myself at the time to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be an Olympian. I'm 17. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to go be an Olympian. No, I didn't think that. I didn't know that. And it's real hard to tell somebody, Hey, go spend $150,000 on your dream to be an Olympian, but you have no idea what you're doing. No, that's a lot to take in. That's a lot to commit to. I'm all about having faith in yourself or having faith in your service or in your country more than anyone else, but not when it comes at the cost of being blind, not when it comes to just going in that motion or following the crowd because you support it blindly without understanding the facts and the truths. I mean, you know, my saying used to be, you know, you have to believe if you want to succeed. And I realized, that, you know, I had become successful. I didn't always believe it though. I didn't believe it until it was there because I, I, you know, I was always consumed with self-doubt. And it was, that was probably the most difficult thing to overcome. You know, my, my new saying for the past eight, nine years has been, you know, never sacrifice the thrills of living for the security of existence. And that's just because I realized if I don't do something, it, I don't have to be great in, in wrestling to succeed. I don't need to be labeled successful in a sport to, to be satisfied with, you know, what I've accumulated in my life. But if I don't take a chance in something, then you will never really succeed in anything that you try. It's always going to be, you know, a, a piece of regret or it's always going to be a piece of effort that's left behind because if you don't give it your all and then there's a little bit more to give somewhere along the way you can find, it's, it's always going to be a, a piece of you that was 
just left somewhere and it's, it's up for you to either think about it or it's up for it's you know left there for somebody else to to claim so that's almost a different mindset on success then it's not not accomplishment based but like i'm successful when i'm living in the right place yeah there's always going to be a thrill out there and it's a quote that i made up but you know it was after a couple bad motorcycle accidents um so um, I, I still ride to this day. I'm a, you know, if it's, if it's anything with motorcycles, horses, or guns, I'm, I'm a hundred percent about it, but um, that's just me. That's my three. Those are my, you know, those are, those are my sins. You know, I, I realized that, you know, part of me, it's one of those things where if, if I didn't get back on a bike, if I didn't get back on a horse, if I didn't take that chance, I was just going to just sit there and be okay with um, my heart's beating, but I'm not capitalizing on anything I'm trying to do. And then as soon as I got, as soon as I came back to the team, I, you know, took a look at my arm in the mirror and I realized that it meant so much more than just the ink of, of the words once I read in between the lines. And I mean, it's, it's always something that's been there. It's always something that I can look at and say, I'm, if my heart's still beating, I got something else to give. And uh, I've really tried to take that uh, to every possible and imaginable level. That's awesome. And it's paid off for you. It's got you going to Tokyo here. And when do you, when do you leave? Uh I leave the 17th officially. I, I'm actually, I'm leaving tomorrow night. I'm going to go ordain a wedding for my sister who's getting married on Friday. So I'm ordained. So you're a reverend or a, or a father, I guess. Or father, <laughs> father, in multiple ways. So uh, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go marry my sister uh, on Friday and then have a send off in my hometown back in Pennsylvania and then shoot back down here real quick, do a couple last little, last minute preparations with the family make sure they're good to go for, for me leaving. And then I'm off. So we leave on the 17th, my coach and my training partner and I, yeah, this is different this year. They, the family doesn't get to travel with you, right? No, they don't. I'm actually, uh, I reserve our tickets tomorrow. Uh, USOPC and NBC kind of partnered up and they're going to, they're going to send uh, two people down to Orlando for like a, a, a watch party vacation thing for like four days during the time that I'm wrestling. Um, and then our team leader, John Bardis, uh, he put, put some money up and offered to, to pay for the two extra people. So I'll be able to have my mom and wife and then both of my boys can go down there and watch. So it's the best thing they can do. It's something that they, you know, they understand that the families are being left behind and it's an opportunity, literally, I mean, it's an opportunity of a lifetime that we don't know right now, but you know, it's something that we're always going to wish they were there to see and, and be a part of. And, you know, I'm always going to, we're always going to be the Olympians of COVID. <laughs> like it's, we're all, we're going to be, you know, making history, but that's why I feel like the Olympics are so important. No matter who can go, no matter who can attend or who can't attend is because we have to get the Olympic movement and sports in general, which has always brought so many countries together, you know, friendship through sport has always been a huge piece of what we do. And it can just show that we, you know, we're past it or we're getting past it and this is how we do it. And, no matter what um, that, you know, that's really, I wholeheartedly believe that's why, you know, IOC has been so hard set on doing this, no matter what is just to prove to the world that we can do this. We're, we're past it. We can move on. We can continue on with our lives and we may have to mitigate certain risks here and there, but we can't be controlled. Sports will heal everything. <sighs> Trying our best, except the bodies. It's really, I, I don't know about you, but it's really hard on the body. <laughs> uh, I bet it's all relative when you say that. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So what's, what's, what's next for you after the Olympics? Are you looking at 2024? Are you just going to take it kind of as it comes? What's the goal? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely got, uh, you know, some, some, you know, hopes and dreams on, on Paris in 2024. I really try to stay short-minded in every goal, both, you know, and, you know, every, every hill, every climb, every goal, you know, I have to remember that, you know, I'm a Marine first and every, I think everyone has to realize and understand that, uh, you know, we're a Marine athlete and, you know, with that, I have to understand my priority uh, and my obligations and, and what I've done. It. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a Marine who's being afforded the opportunity to wrestle in the Olympics. Marine Corps don't want me to, and I'm not going to, it's pretty much that simple. I don't have control over it. I can kick, scream, whine and cry, but at the end of the day, I'm, a Marine first, you know, I've, so I've got a lot of aspirations of, of going back to the fleet. I've got, um, you know, I, I want to be able to serve in a, in a capacity that can kind of not catapult a, a career, but, you know, to ensure that I'm doing the best of my ability that I can do to serve the country in the court that, you know, that's something that all the Marines on the team kind of take to heart. That's not something that we shy away from. Uh, it's something that we really embrace and, and understand. You know, I've had a, a half dozen guys or so on the team already execute orders to, to units and, and they're, they're doing their thing and they're doing their jobs. And we have to, we have to, we have to honor that. Uh, so, you know, before 2024, I have to understand that I would be doing a disservice to me and every other Marine and, and to, you know, every taxpayer out there, if I try to stay on the team without going to the fleet first, uh, that's just the realization of it. Nothing to hide from, nothing to stray away from, but you know, I've got, I've got a job to do. Um, this is my extra job that I get to do. Not every Marine gets to do this. It's an opportunity. That's another, you know, that sense of urgency has always been a part of us. And that's something that we're looking at, but you know, I've got a, I got a couple guys in a unit that I'm, I've kind of got orders to right now, uh, later on down the road and we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. It's definitely a, a road with, you know, uncertainty in it, but that's what makes it fun. It's just one of those things, just like, you know, by the you know, seat of your pants, let's figure out, let's, let's see what's happening. But I try to take every single opportunity. I, I give it 120% or until my heart stops beating and, I, and I'll figure it out. But 2024, I mean, hopefully the, you know, Marine Corps has been real supportive for the better part of, of, you know, dreams and aspirations of Olympic level wrestling. And, you know, I, I hope they continue to do the same, but, you know, I'm, I'm not my commander. If that was the case, we have a whole different, you know, if I was my own boss, but I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a Marine. So, you know, I have to honor that. Absolutely. No, that's, that's honorable. Yeah. Well, John, congratulations on, on this achievement and we look forward to watching you in the Olympics and wish you all the luck. Thanks. I, I appreciate having me. Is there anywhere that, that people can find you online that you want to put out there? Um, you know, I've got my social media, you know, pages, my, you know, both of them are just my name and my Instagram, my Rockman actual. It's a nickname I've acquired from, I just like to hit things in my hands, I guess. And they call me Rockman. It's been a, an acquired name. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, we look forward to watching you in Tokyo and, and good luck with everything. And again, thanks for your time and, and for your service and uh, good luck. And do us a favor and thank your wife and children for your time. Also, we greatly appreciate them as well. Yeah, I'll probably thank the wife more than the children right now from the sounds of it. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell them you said, hey. I'll tell them you said, hey, Brent. <laughs> Appreciate right. it. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks. Thanks, John.